So let's turn Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, where Matthew gives the story of Jesus' birth. So Christmas is a time to give and receive gifts, right? And many of you can probably remember back to your childhood days when you were so excited about Christmas coming, you could hardly wait for it to come because of the, the gifts and the presents that you'd receive. And this morning, what God wants to do is use this passage in Matthew chapter 1 to help us feel that same level of excitement and anticipation and joy in what God has given us in Jesus Christ. Christmas is all about God's gift to us of Jesus. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God has given to us Jesus, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the best gift, the best Christmas gift, the best any gift that any of us could ever receive. Now, I would guess, though, that some of us, many of us maybe, aren't feeling that this morning. So some of you may be feeling far from God this morning or guilty before God this morning. I would guess that some of you might be feeling sad at being far away from loved ones this morning. Others of you might be feeling fearful or worried about some life situation or maybe just discouraged about your life. So I would guess that there's definitely a number of us who aren't feeling in our hearts this morning the wonder of this gift of Jesus Christ. But this morning, God wants to use this passage to transform our hearts to so clearly show us who Jesus Christ is that our hearts would be filled and encouraged and strengthened and full of hope and full of compassion for other people and that we would leave this place changed because we've seen in a fresh, clear way all that God has given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the passage. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, pause here, betrothed is what happened back in Bible times. We call it engagement in America. I don't know what you call it in your culture, but it's when a man and a woman commit to get married. They're not married yet, but they're committed to get married. We call it engagement. They called it betrothal. But in that culture back then, it, it had a little bit more clout, a little more oomph than it does here because when you became engaged, you called each other husband and wife, although you hadn't consummated your marriage yet. You weren't married yet. You were husband and wife. And to break an engagement, to break a betrothal, there needed to be a divorce. Okay, so understand the context here. This is betrothal. So back to verse 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together sexually, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, no sexual relations, until she'd given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, notice the first words of verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So Matthew wants us to understand how Jesus' birth took place. So how did it, how did it take place? How did Jesus' birth happen? And when you read verse 18, there's lots that Matthew could have emphasized, but when you read verse 18, you see that there is one point in particular that Matthew wants to emphasize. Read verse 18 again, the whole verse. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child, last four words, underline them, from the Holy Spirit. So Matthew wants us to be very, very clear on this point. Mary was a virgin. Mary had never had sexual relations. She was engaged to Joseph, betrothed to Joseph, but they were committed to be obedient to God, and they did not have sexual relations until later, until after they were married. So Mary was a virgin, no sexual relations, and yet Mary became pregnant. How? From the Holy Spirit miraculously, supernaturally, Mary, a virgin, conceived a baby, the baby Jesus. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, really? I mean, babies aren't born without sexual relations, okay? Didn't they know that back then? They totally knew that back then. You can see from how Matthew writes that he totally knew that back then. Now, I understand, usually babies are not born. In fact, this is the only baby that has ever been born in this way. But just consider, God is able to create the entire universe with a word. He has that power and that wisdom and that ability. God was able to speak life into Adam and Eve. So the God who is able to do that surely can cause conception in Mary's womb without any sexual relations. And that's what God did. Miraculously and supernaturally, Mary the virgin was pregnant with Jesus. Now, men, imagine that you're Joseph. You've been faithful to God, obedient. You're not going to have sex with Mary. You're not, you're not married yet. You're going to be faithful to her. And then you come to find out that Mary is pregnant. So how did Joseph respond to Mary's pregnancy? Look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he assumed that she had been unfaithful to him. 
And in that culture, to end a betrothal, as I said, meant a divorce. So Joseph resolved to do it as quietly and as privately as possible to spare her unnecessary shame. So that was Joseph's plan. A quiet divorce, annul the betrothal, annul the engagement. We'll both just move on with our lives. But God had other plans. Now, see, Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. Okay? But God had planned for Joseph to be Jesus' legal father, as we talked about last week, because then Jesus would be, everybody would know, Jesus was born in the line of David. Jesus would be the son of David. And remember last week, we talked about how all through the Old Testament, after David the king died, God foretold a future king raised up in the line of David. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, God would bring a king like no other. Save people from their sins, who'd be ruler, a king in the line of David, but not like David, far better, the king of, of the world, fully God, fully man. That was prophesied in the Old Testament. We saw that last week. And so it was crucial that Joseph not divorce Mary. So what did God do to avoid this divorce? Verses 20 and 21. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I think Joseph was very, very happy to hear this angel announcement, don't you think? So the angel addresses Joseph, first of all, as son of David, which, which would have clued Joseph into the fact that God is about to fulfill these prophecies that he had promised about the, the future son of David. Yes, Joseph was in the line of David, but he knew he wasn't the son of David. He knew the son of David, though, was coming through what was happening in these circumstances. Then the angel says to Joseph, go ahead and take Mary as your wife. Mary's not been unfaithful to you. This baby was conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit, the angel tells Joseph. And then he says, she'll bear a son, call his name Jesus, which means God saves. And then the angel quotes from Psalm 130, he will save his people from their sins. So this is how God intervenes in Joseph's life to make sure that the divorce doesn't take place. So here before Jesus is born, this is what this means for us, before Jesus is born, the angel announces that Jesus will save his people from their sins. Now, that is huge. Okay, this is our biggest problem as human beings. Our hugely biggest problem is our sin. We saw last week, ever since Adam and Eve sinned, we've all been born with hearts that want to rebel against God. And so we are sinning. We're living in rebellion against God. And because God is just, even though God is patient and God is compassionate and God is loving, God is just, and we've all sinned so knowingly and so willingly and so intentionally against God that we deserve His punishment forever. So every one of us has been under God's judgment for our sins, and that's why this is the best news in the world. He will save His people from their sins. Now, how would He do that? At the end of Matthew's gospel, He tells us, by dying on the cross, this is such good news. Picture God in the heavens. You, me, we've all sinned against him. God loves us, cares about us, but he's just. So there's wrath. 
God is just. Punishment must come. The punishment must fit the crime. We've all sinned against God. There's wrath in God's heart that must be expressed because of our sin. And God sent Jesus so that instead of that wrath being poured out upon me and upon you, Jesus was willing, the Father was willing with tears to pour it out upon his own son on the cross. So as Jesus was dying on the cross, he was being punished for your sins. That was your punishment, your suffering, your pain that he was enduring, he who had never sinned. He will save his people from their sins. This is the best news imaginable. And so that's what the angel tells Joseph. So see, if you're trusting Jesus the Messiah this morning, all your sins have been forgiven. All your past sins. Even that one. And that one. Okay? And all your present sins. We're here in church, but still all of us still have indwelling sin. We're not sinless until heaven. And so there's, there's sin in my heart, I wish it wasn't there. And in your hearts, we don't wish it wasn't there. But we're forgiven for now, this, these sins. And for future sins, Jesus paid it all. That's what the angel announces. So the angel tells Joseph, take Mary as your wife. The baby who was conceived in her is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Beautiful news. Now, at this point, as Matthew is writing his gospel, the Holy Spirit's directing him what to say. I think the Holy Spirit maybe brought a little pause in his in his heart, and, and he's thinking, and the Holy Spirit leads him that he needs to help his readers believe this. Because this is not easy for us to believe, right? A virgin birth, angels coming, dreams happening, God speaking to people. Is Matthew making this all up? Just the early church made this all up? I mean, why should we believe this? And Matthew, directed by the Holy Spirit, pauses now in the story and he tells the reader something to help us believe this. So what does Matthew tell us to help us believe? Verses 22 and 23. Matthew speaks directly to the reader. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. So Matthew says that what's happening with Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus is the fulfillment of what Isaiah had prophesied 700 years earlier. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I want you to see this in black and white in your own Bible. I want you to underline this verse. This is so important. 700 years before Jesus was born, his virgin birth was prophesied. God directed Isaiah to write this down in the book of Isaiah, which we have in our hands, written 700 B.C. Here it is. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Let's read it. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. The virgin, did you read that right there? The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So just ponder the 700 years B.C. before Christ. 
Isaiah prophesied that a virgin would conceive and bear a son who would be God with us. Emmanuel is the Hebrew for God with us. So Matthew didn't make this up. This was prophesied 700 years earlier, and the Holy Spirit directed Matthew to write these words. The early church didn't make this up. They were just following what Matthew wrote here, what Luke, what Mark wrote, because it was prophesied 700 years earlier by Isaiah. So let this strengthen your faith. 700 years B.C., prophesied. When Christ came, fulfillment of prophecy. This has been God's plan. This isn't the early church's idea, Matthew's idea. This is God's idea. This is God's plan. This is a sign to us. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you will call his name Emmanuel because he will be God with us. Born of a virgin, Mary, fully man, conceived by the Holy Spirit, fully God, fully man, and fully God. So in the baby Jesus, God with us. So, what did Joseph do? Right? Our faith has been strengthened by this prophecy. Joseph was going to divorce Mary. The angel had come and talked to him. What does Joseph do? 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not sexually until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph trusted God and obeyed. So the divorce was avoided. The prophecy was fulfilled. And Jesus Christ was born in a way that no baby has ever been born, ever will be born. No other baby will have been born the way Jesus Christ was born. Born of a virgin Mary, so for Mary, fully man, fully man, flesh and blood man, right? Conceived by the Holy Spirit, fully God, fully man, fully God, God with us. That's what God has done. Now, what does this mean for us? What's our, our takeaways from this passage this morning? I've got two of them. First, this means that you and me, we can be saved from our sins. No better news. There's no better news. 100 years from today, this is all that will matter, is were you saved from your sins or not. When you stand before God, the loving, righteous judge, who deep down inside, we, we all know there's a God, and we all know we're going to stand before him, all that will matter is were you saved from your sins or not. That's all that will matter. He will save his people from their sins, right there in verse 21. So because Jesus was born fully man, with a body that could suffer, a body that could scream out in pain as hands are being nailed to a cross, because he was born with nerves that could carry pain signals and suffer, and a body that could die, because he was born as a man, he could pay for our sins. And because he was fully God, his death paid the infinite price that our sin deserves, the infinite punishment that our sin costs. So because he was fully man and fully God, Jesus could fully pay for our sins. 
That's what he did. Now, I want you to think about a picture. In, in the United States, there's a waterfall called the Niagara Falls. Actually, it's between, sorry, Canadians. It's right between the United States and Canada. Did I get that right? I've never been there. Anybody been to Niagara Falls before? Okay, a few of us. All right. Now, Niagara Falls, massive waterfall, and this huge river flowing down to it. So I want you to imagine that you had fallen into the river above the falls and were being carried to the falls. Power of the current, the power of the water, moving you relentlessly towards the falls, over which you would fall to your certain death and feel the terror, the rightful panic, the fear that you would have in this water. Nothing you can do. The water's too powerful. The current is too strong. You're in this river. You're being carried to the Niagara Falls. Now, think of how amazing it would be if you hear somebody on the shore saying, look, look to me. I'm over here. And you look around and here's somebody who throws you a rope. And the rope lands right in front of you. Grab onto the rope. <laughs> Are you going to grab onto the rope? You're going to grab onto the rope. So you grab onto the rope, and then he's there in the shore. He's pulling, pulling, pulling. And you're moving, and the current's going towards the falls, but you're being pulled towards the shore. You're being pulled away from destruction. You're being pulled towards your salvation. Think of how exhilarated and relieved and thankful and full of joy you would be as you step foot on the river bank and you wrap your arms around your Savior and you say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can you feel that? Now, because of our sin, we are all in a river of guilt, sin and guilt, moving us towards God's judgment, strong current the current of justice. Justice must be served. We've sinned against God. Justice must be served. We're in this river, and we can't get out of it. You can go to church every day the rest of your life. No change. You're guilty for everything you've done up to this point, and you're still indwelling sin in you. So you can't be good enough to get out of the river. You can't be spiritual enough to get out of the river. You can give money away. You can pray. You can do all these things. The river's flowing. You're getting closer. Nothing you can do changes anything. Every moment, every minute, every day, closer, judgment is coming. And God has stood on the riverbank, and he has thrown the rope of Jesus Christ to you. Look! Look over here! Jesus! Here! Grab on to him! Cling to Jesus! Put your trust in Jesus! And you grab on, and the Father's pulling. He's pulling. Keep holding on! Keep holding on. And you land on the riverbank, saved from your sins, saved from the judgment that you deserved. He will save his people from their sins. Now, everyone in this room, we are either in the river or on the riverbank. There's no halfway. You're either in the river because you're not clinging to Jesus. There's only one rope. God's thrown a rope. He's given us a rope. You can be saved. Everyone in this room can be saved from our sins, from your sins. You can be saved from your sins. There's a rope. But unless you're clinging to Jesus, and until you're clinging to Jesus, you won't be saved from your sins. So some of you are still in the river, 
and we, we plead with you this morning. Look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. God the Father saying, look, look, here, look, right? A sign born of a virgin. Look, the cross, look, the resurrection, here. Cling to him and you'll be saved. The rest of us, we're on the shore. We're together celebrating and joining the Father and calling out to people in the river. Look, be saved. It'll happen to you like it happened to us. So that's the first takeaway from this passage is you can be saved from your sins. Be saved from your sins today by trusting Jesus. Celebrate being saved from your sins today by thanking Jesus. That's the first takeaway. Second takeaway, it means we can have God with us. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. And that's Hebrew for, or which means God with us. Now think about this. God is in the heavens, transcendent, sovereign, powerful, holy, way beyond us, way above us, massively far from us. Just, he's God. He's glorious. He's exalted. Okay? But to help us see who he is, to help us know that he's real, he came to earth in the person of Jesus. Fully man and fully God. John 1.14, Tyler read it for us earlier. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So when we look at Jesus, we can see God is real. Because we read the eyewitness accounts of, of who he was, how he lived. We can see God with our own eyes as we read the gospel accounts, eyewitness accounts. We can see that God is powerful because of the miracles that he worked. Right? Healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. We can see that God loves us as we see Jesus loving people. Showing mercy to sinful people. Loving and praying for little children. Love. We can see that God is just. Remember Jesus' wrath and anger as he threw the money changers out of the temple, threw them out of the temple? God's just. And we can see that God forgives as we see Jesus dying on the cross to pay for our sins so we can be forgiven. So in Jesus, we can see who God is. God with us. So while Jesus was on earth... We had God with us, but for those who are clinging to the rope, for those who are trusting Jesus, remember Jesus said, it's, it's good for you that I'm going to go away to the Father because I'm going to pour out the helper. I'm going to give you the helper, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is at the Father's right hand now, but we have Jesus with us by the Holy Spirit right now. And for those who are trusting Christ, God will never leave you or forsake you. You have the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, He, the Holy Spirit, is living inside you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. When you're absolutely heartbroken about something, He will never leave you or forsake you. When you're in the, in the thick of fighting temptation, He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. When you're at your darkest hour, you can know he will never leave you, never forsake you. Emmanuel, God with us. 
by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Father with me right now. And there will be times in your life, and He's always with you, but there will be times when you're praying, when you're reading His Word, when you're worshiping, and He will make His presence experienced to you, felt by you, so you'll know you're God, you're Jesus, you're here, I love you. He'll give you times. It's not constant. He'll give you times when that happens. Emmanuel, God with us. So Tuesday, I was driving to meet with Angus and Dio, the church plant steering committee guys, and I had been, for a couple days, fighting against a sinful attitude in my heart. Just been battling it, praying, meditating on Scripture, and I was fighting, but I wasn't making much, wasn't gaining much. You know, I, just was, I was just battling. The battle was still going on. The battle was still being waged, and, and I was feeling like, God, help me. Where are you? I felt far from God. And, but I'm driving to this appointment with these guys, and I'm meditating on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. I'd, I'd memorized that. I was trying to review it. And you've all experienced this, those of you who are trusting Jesus. He gave me one of those times where I felt the Holy Spirit using the truth of that verse to completely change my heart. And that sinful attitude, bam, the power was broken, just lifted off of me. And God's love just poured out upon me. And it's like he was there in the car with me, not physically, nothing like that, but just I sensed his love, I sensed his presence, I sensed his nearness. Oh, it was beautiful. And so there will be times when God meets you in the Word and in prayer and in worship, and so you feel His love poured into your heart. You see His glory. Your heart is completely satisfied with rivers of living water. So that's the second takeaway. The first one is you can be saved from all your sins. The second takeaway is Emmanuel, God with us through trusting Christ you can have God be with you all the time and at times with special outpourings that just fill you and satisfy you and strengthen you. Okay. I hope you're seeing. I've been praying that God would use this passage to help you see and feel that Jesus Christ is the best Christmas gift you could possibly imagine the most heart-satisfying Christmas gift ever, the most strengthening Christmas gift you could ever receive, the most beautiful, majestic, precious, valuable gift. It's Jesus Christ. By trusting Christ, you're saved from your sins, and you can have God with you by the Holy Spirit. So many of you, you've already received Jesus, this best of all Christmas presence. And so I would just encourage you today, thank Him. Honor Him. Seek Him. Obey Him. Be faithful to Him. Walk with Him. Fellowship with Him. For those of you who have already received this gift, do that. For those who have not yet received this best Christmas gift of all, you're still in the, the river flowing towards judgment and destruction. There's nothing you can do to get out of it on your own. But God loves you. God cares about you. God has made a way for you to be forgiven. God is so great 
that he can make a way for you to be completely forgiven. And he did that by sending his son. He's throwing you the rope. Look, here's Jesus. So would you this morning cling to the rope? Would you put your trust in Jesus? Would you bend the knee before him and say, I receive you into my life. Forgive me. Change me. Satisfy me. Fill me. He will. Let's pray together. What an amazing gift, Father, you've given us in Christ. We can be saved from our sins. Beautiful. And we can have you with us because of what Christ has done by the Holy Spirit, God with us. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you'd strengthen, Lord, those who already know you. I pray that you'd stir our hearts even more to love you and to worship you. I pray that today and this next week and in the time to come, Lord, we'd be more faithful to you, more thankful to you, more obedient to you, more glorifying to you because of what we've learned this morning. And I pray for those who have not yet received this best of all Christmas gifts. I pray, Lord, right now by your power, touch their hearts. Give them faith right now. Subdue pride, whatever's in the way. Save people in this room right now, I pray. In Jesus' name. And we're going to worship the Lord. Why don't you stand? We want to worship the Lord. Let's have Wednesday night people who are going to be praying come on over here. Stand in front of the beautiful manger decoration there. And if you have any need for prayer, come on up right now and pray. Maybe this is a time where you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. We would love to pray with you about that or any need you have. Come on up and get prayer. Just walk up during this last song. We want to worship the Lord.